It's Monday, May 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser and Taylor Muckerman. It's the Monday crew. Good to see you. Dana. As well. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, the theme of the day, if this were sponsored, we're not sponsored today, but if we were sponsored, this would be like a Sesame Street kind of thing, where it's like, Sesame Street is brought to you. <laughs> Today's Market Foolery is brought to you by the letter S. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk Square. We're going to talk Shopify. We got to start with the deal of the day, and that is Starbucks, specifically Nestle paying Starbucks $7.2 billion as part of a global coffee marketing deal. Nestle is going to be marketing Starbucks products. What is this deal, Jason? What is this? Because on the surface, as a Starbucks shareholder, I'm happy about this because sure. it looks like Nestle is just handing over an enormous check to Starbucks. Well, I mean, that's more or less what it is, right? So I mean, why is why is Starbucks stock flat? Well, I mean, let's be clear. This is a very big company as it is, and I mean, this is a so this is a good deal, I think, for a number of reasons and for both companies. Um, I think uh, for investors, this really sort of plays into the thinking. That Starbucks really has moved sort of beyond that growth story and more into just a compelling income type play for investors. And so, I mean, it's not the kind of stock that you're going to see pop a whole heck of a lot on any real news because it's already a really big company and it's kind of known. I mean, it's not really a secret out there on Wall Street anymore. Um, I can't help but feel like Nestle needs this deal more than Starbucks needs this deal. I think Nestle, while a global coffee powerhouse, has been losing share recently. And Starbucks, we know, continues to open stores, continues to gain share, and just really has, I think, perhaps the best known coffee brand globally. And so, you know, this gives. This gives Starbucks the opportunity to leverage that powerful portfolio of brands and then kind of let Nestle do more of the heavy lifting and really sort of taking that brand more global. Because Nestle has a really, really great presence, globally speaking. And so this is going to give Nestle a chance to license a lot of that Starbucks brand power beyond the US. And Starbucks is going to rake in a bunch of cash up front for it. They're going to continue to get a portion of the revenues and royalties from this all. And ultimately, they're going to accelerate share buybacks and try to help return more of this money to shareholders, which you know goes back to the old compelling income play. I think this helps justify maybe raising the dividend over time. It'll bring that share account down a little bit. So, all in all, good deal. Yeah, you're looking at the strengths of both companies, the international distribution network of Nestle, and then Starbucks still getting to go out there and Open new stores at fairly good levels. When you look at China and Europe and things like that, America's kind of tapered down a little bit. But I like this stock a lot. I continue to. It's the same price it was in August of 2015, 57 bucks, and it's it's done nothing but grow since then. The stock price just hasn't followed along with that. So I think you know you look at 20 billion dollars coming back to shareholders over the next couple of years, and now that you have seven and a half billion to throw into that. A little bit more room for maybe acquisitions on their end, or continue that same pace of growth if they find some opportunities. So, I think definitely hitting at both strengths here. And Starbucks did say that eventually this is going to be hitting their bottom line, but it's not going to be for a couple of years in terms in terms of meaningful revenue. Right. Yeah. And I mean, again, because we know the deal today, I mean, it's not going to be a secret, and you know, everybody's already sort of incorporating that. It's sort of assumptions going forward over the next few years. But I think if you just look at the mechanics of the deal and how it pertains to the share buybacks part of the equation, because I think that's probably the part that 
people want to pay closer attention to because it will have a meaningful effect. Um, I mean, if you look at $7.15 billion today that, that Starbucks is going to bring in from Nestle, if, if, you bought, if you just used all of that money to buy back shares at today's price, you'd get about 123 million shares. And Starbucks has about one point, close to 1.4 billion shares outstanding today. So it brings that share count down a little bit less than 10%. Now, they're going to be able to buy back more than just that, but they're also going to continue to pay dividend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a better than 2% yield today. That'll continue to grow. So I think all in all, I mean, this, this just sort of is another sort of piece of the puzzle here. If you're an income style investor, or even if you're not, I mean, this is going to be, I think, a good company to hold for a long period of time because they're showing that they care about shareholders and they're going to continue returning that cash are, to them. Are both of you shareholders of this company? Uh, yes, I am. So I am not. My daughters are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of just where I leave it. I'm figuring they'll take care of me in my old age anyway. So, <laughs> um, the one group of people I feel a little bit bad for uh, in in this whole thing is um, I saw as part of this story about 500 Starbucks employees are, are going to be joining Nestle as a part of <laughs> yeah, this deal, right. which which is essentially like they got traded. Like we've yeah. made this deal and we've traded you. The, not to say that that's a, a I'm not saying Nestle is a terrible company to work for. I just think that's an odd experience if you're if you're a Starbucks employee and it's like, oh, by the way, yeah, by the end of this summer you're gonna be you're gonna be working for Nestle. You can come join us here inside the Beltway. Nestle opened their U.S. headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, a few months back. So Uh, before we move on, uh, you had mentioned acquisitions. Uh, As someone who has owned Starbucks shares for a long time. I would much rather see them put this money to use in terms of boosting the dividend yeah. and buying back shares because they don't have the best track record in terms of acquisitions. Nestle neither, yeah. yeah. But uh, other companies do with JAB Holdings acquiring Pete's, Caribou, the Dr. Pepper Snapple deal. So interesting to see kind of a merger almost here rather than a big acquisition like you have seen in the past with this war for coffee. Yeah, I think if you're JAB, you're certainly paying attention to this at least, right? Because I mean, that's what JAB has been doing is sort of acquiring a lot of those smaller coffee players to become a bigger player in the space, but but this really, I mean, globally speaking is a very very big deal. You can follow Market Foolery on Twitter. Our handle is at @marketfoolery uh, from Tom Ellingson in Oslo. Tom writes, no mention of either Shopify or Square on the latest Motley Fool money. You guys need A, a longer show, or B, you need to spin off the interview section. <laughs> I'd go for the longer show. I mean, what kind of multiple are we asking for the interview section? That means we should be doing yeah, exactly. something right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, it is a reminder to me that when it's Earnings Palooza, as much as I love Earnings Palooza, and I do, when it's that three-week stretch where there are so many stories. It is a reminder to me that, particularly on Motley Fool Money, which has to be the same length every week because of the radio stations that run the show, that we are limited in terms mm-hmm. of the number of stories we can do. So, with that in mind, let's let's hit Shopify and Square, because they did, they did have earnings recently. And Shopify's first quarter revenue up nearly 70%. Yeah. That is... That is strong when you consider that they posted a loss, but the loss in real dollar terms was basically the same as last year. Yeah, no, this company is certainly humming on all cylinders. And when you look at what they've been able to do, 70% revenue growth, and this isn't like a one quarter thing. They've been doing this for the last half a dozen or so quarters and continue to impress. You look at Jason talking about the war on cash, this company is 
payer agnostic. You can pay with credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay. They have Shopify Pay. The list goes on, and that's something that they touted a lot on this most recent call. Uh, they're generating operating cash, <coughs> which for a business this young, growing this quickly, is is impressive. And they're sitting on about 1.5 billion in cash. Um, so they got some optionality out there. If something you know growth starts to slow, they see an opportune company to to snap up. Um, doubtful any dividends coming out of that cash flow right. for some time, but uh, <laughs> nice to see that optionality there sitting on the balance sheet for a company like this. That's a lot of cash. One point five billion is a lot of cash yes. when you consider that the market cap of Shopify is about thirteen and a half billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and we've watched this company grow. We've recommended it for a couple of years now in Stock Advisor Canada and own it in Pro Canada and. Uh, we we want to just hold on to this company forever <laughs> if it keeps operating like obviously it won't continue to grow at seventy percent top line forever but um, even if that starts to slow over the next five to ten years the market opportunity here is huge and when you talk to people that use it it, it nothing but good things to say there was a short report that came out from Citron a few months ago and that's all but been forgotten <laughs> of course there was <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's uh, Citron's move so um, we we, we kind of looked at that we took some of it um, seriously and and dove in because we you know when something like that happens we do have to provide our thoughts to members but um, on the whole we kind of just brushed it aside after digging a little deeper kind of sensationalistic let's move on to square uh, Square's first quarter, it seemed like everything was up. The you know gross payment volume was up, revenue was up. That's great. Obviously, operating expenses up nearly fifty percent. That's less great. <laughs> well, I mean, but the, Chris, they're they're growing. They're they're building. They're spending for. The I know. Future, I'm just right? saying that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Throw another cliche. You got to spend money to make money, that's right? right? <laughs> I mean, that's just uh, they make money when we spend money. I guess. It, I mean, I, I think Square is a compelling idea. I think from a number of fronts. I mean, this is becoming more than just a payments company, and it's using its its tech and the data from all of their uh, retail partners in order to sort of. Integrate more complementary offerings into their into their business to become something more, and and so whether it's uh, Caviar, the food delivery, or Square Capital, or or Weebly, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, I, I you know this is a compelling investment I think from a number of fronts, and and when you look at the company itself, uh, we'll compare sort of. Square to Twitter because there's the Jack Dorsey commonality there. If the Square was set up for success from the IPO, I think from a leadership perspective, financial perspective, um, vision, whereas Twitter was not. I mean, I think you could, these are night and day sort of. But you know, Twitter's brought things back around, and I think that's good. But um, I look at the facts. I mean, there were 17.8 billion dollars in gross payment volume. Uh, for Square in the quarter, up 31% from a year ago. And if you compare that to something like PayPal, I mean, it's a little bit of a drop in the bucket because PayPal was $132 billion for their most recent quarter. Mm-hmm. And that was up about 27%. So I think that really kind of goes back to there's a big opportunity out there. And because Square is growing, that means they're doing something right. And uh, I think as long as they continue to do what they're doing, uh, they're going to continue to pick up that piece of the pie. It's not an all or nothing, uh, you know, one way. Winter market there, uh, but the Weebly acquisition I think was an interesting one. A little little roll up acquisition. 
decision to sort of introduce an omni-channel commerce uh, side to the business where they can help that technology integrate with uh, retailers' web presence. And as as a Weebly website user, I, I mean, I can t- I can testify to the fact that it's very easy. I mean, a dummy like me can build a website, and probably anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so all in all, I think a very good core. Yeah, they spent about what three hundred fifty million to buy Weebly, which yeah. on the surface I just. Not that they don't have the money, and not that they haven't been smart with that money, but I, my initial reaction when I saw that was a little bit of scratching my own head. Just like, wait, why are they doing this? But then, in talking to you, yeah, it actually does make a lot of sense, particularly when they are able to offer that type of payment integration. Right. And I mean it's they've been partnering with Weebly for some time. I mean, and so the question was raised on the call, why not just continue the partnership as opposed to making the acquisition and and you know, Jack Dorsey and, and it seemed money. That, well, I mean they because said, hey, listen, I mean normally that might be a smart way to do it, but they figured that with the acquisition they could they were two very comparable cultures. They could really get more done just being together. Um, and so yeah, it wasn't like it was a big major acquisition. They have the financial Resources to do it, so I don't see any problem with it. And, and to Taylor's point there on Citron, I mean, there is another commonality here. I mean, there was probably a, a few days ago where Citron sends out a tweet, you know, and, and calling his short on Square with a short-term price target of like thirty bucks. And I mean, I got some questions on Twitter about that. And I mean, I, I, I listen, I. I'm not calling this guy a dummy, but I mean that tweet was laughable. I mean a lot of his research is very specious at best, and some I think he's he's been, for whatever reason, he gets a lot of credit for the the Valiant Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. call that he made, which I, I think my my kids could have probably made that call. Um, but I mean I, his his point about the shares looking expensive. I mean every business that's unprofitable looks expensive because mm-hmm. there's no E in the PE. They're not earning any money yet, and so it's very difficult to say well 45 is expensive or 30 is expensive if they're not making any money. Clearly the market thinks there's something there because the company continues to grow its its top line and its share of that gross payment volume. He threw in there a point about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I mean, he, we probably agree on that. I'm not the biggest fan of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but again, that's just a small part of, of Square's overall business, and they're just kind of testing the waters to learn more about it. So, you know, bottom line was I sort of saw that tweet for what it was. I think it was more than anything an effort on his part to maybe help move the stock. I don't think he even has a research report out on the company. Yeah, so, no, I don't think so. Um, I just. And we move right along. You say short-term price target. Yeah, for exactly. Him. So you know, if it drops ten percent, you cover the shorts and you made quick ten percent in a day or two, and then you're out of the stock. And I mean, the stock intraday, like it, it dropped initially on that news, mm-hmm. recovered everything, and I mean, yeah. now it's having a nice day. So I mean, I think the market is a little bit wiser to what's going on with this business. Yeah, for well, sure. And that's and that's one of the things to always keep in mind about uh, shorting in general, but specifically about houses like Citron, which are right. which are known for their shorts. I mean, you just look at a stock like Square. A year ago it's at twenty. Today it's in the low fifties. So it's one thing to say, well, I think this stock is is a little pricey. Well, yeah, it's yeah, yeah and <laughs> I mean, it, it's up 150 percent from where it was a year ago. And and to your point, Jason, there are there is no E in their PE ratio. But I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a compelling case for systemic problems in a business, then go ahead and make that case. Don't just come at me with, I think this stock it's is expensive. a little pricey. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's why you're shorting it. And, and I, you know, for me, like in investing, I think one of the most valuable 
traits you can have as an investor is to just keep an open mind. And so I, I like to keep an open mind. I mean, I don't want to dismiss anything that he says because I always feel like, hey, maybe there's a stone that hasn't been turned over yet. Let me at least see what he's saying to to try to counter it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, from that perspective, I I, th- I think it it never hurts. I mean, that's it, we talk about Twitter and one of the one of the most valuable parts of Twitter. Follow people that you don't agree with. Yeah. Look at the other side of the coin. It it'll make you at least think a little bit differently to understand the perspective where someone else is coming from. Maybe you agree with it. Maybe you don't. It, it certainly makes you smarter, no matter what. Taylor Muckerman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.